0: Good morning. good morning. Sound is good. I, um, I believe in social conditioning. So every time I go to a sports event, like a Cardinals game or a Blues game, I'm, I'm the person in the crowd saying, man, those St. Louis fans, they're so patient and calm, and they know how to control their anger and their emotions, and they support one another uh, as a family. That's, that's me in the crowd, okay? So I know that can get a little annoying, but... Uh, I'm doing it for social conditioning. So this morning, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to say, man, those Trinity uh, members are so patient and kind, and they really support their speakers. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to start this morning with the Lord's Prayer. Here we go. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Thank you. (laughs) I thought that would be a great fitting for the start of this morning, because this morning I wanted to talk about how I came to affirm, believe, and preach the message of the Lord's Prayer in my life. I also wanted to kind of present who I am, and in my story, show how the message of the Lord's Prayer has become real and tangible in my life. I can only imagine what you guys are thinking right now. Who is this guy standing before us? I've been coming to this church for a little while now, a few months. I'm not even sure exactly. Um, And I'm the guy that you probably have seen show up late and leave early from the service, who has sat during worship in the prayer sessions, who nods off sometimes during the sermon, not because it's boring, Um, so you probably assume that I am a parent or that I work late, but I wanted to tell you this morning that sometimes it takes me a lot of energy to get past the foyer, to come into the service and to meet God and to meet God's people. And when I say energy, I don't merely mean physical energy, although I do mean physical energy. Sometimes me and Susan don't get sleep at all. But I also mean mental energy and emotional energy. Because the night before, sometimes, I work at the hospital. Some evenings, I hold a screaming mother as I tell her that her son just tried to commit suicide with a bullet. Or I would deal with a 20-year-old something who is someone's mother, someone's daughter, and someone's girlfriend who just OD'd and they weren't able to resuscitate her back to life. Or a 90-year-old woman who's the third wife of a gentleman who she has to decide to withdraw care. She sits with him as she holds his hand as he gasps for his last breath in a dark ICU room or a wife of 40 years who's driving back home after going to the grocery store where she picks up eggs and milk so she can make that always requested holiday pound cake that will never be made the same again because she's sideswiped by a drunk driver. I sit with her husband, her four children, and her grandchildren as they are sitting in a sea of dismay, anger, and profound grief. What I deal with is intense and heavy and sad. And I carry that. So please forgive me. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Because... Who am I? I am a child of God who is called to be a father, <laughs> a husband, and a minister as an ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene serving in healthcare chaplaincy. I was supposed to invite my child up because he wanted to come up on stage. I don't know where he's at. He's outside so I won't invite him out. But my story is this. I am the second of four boys born in Amarillo, Texas to my parents who have been married for 37 years, give or take. My parents took me and my three brothers to Pentecostal churches when I was in elementary school because my mother was a Church of God influence, My father was Lutheran and kind of followed my mother. But my parents had a falling out with church. And so when they moved to Illinois, they rarely ever attended again. I was able, fortunate, to go to Nazarene church with a neighbor down the street. And then for a couple years until he moved away, I was able to go to church summer camp where I first met Susan when I was in 7th grade, 6th, six, between 6th and 7th grade. And then in middle school, uh, you know, middle school is the toughest time in your life, especially your adolescent life, and I moved to an entirely new school in central Illinois where I had to manage my identity my hormones and my education. In that time, I was also stricken with a, uh, the side effects of a birth defect. I had terrible migraines. I had desensitized pain tolerance, which I'm sure was a scary thing for my parents and my three brothers because we would do all kinds of crazy things and I would just power through it. Um, The fact that I have two eyes and ten digits, there's a God in heaven. And with this uh, birth defect, I I learned to manage the pain with Excedrin. And so I um, had balloons full of Excedrin stashed throughout the house and cars and wherever, lockers, so that I would never be without. I always had to have a steady stream of Excedrin in me so that I could live through life. Well, three years after that, in my freshman year of high school, a doctor decided that basking the pain with Excedrin probably wasn't the best option. And so he decided to run some tests. And lo and behold, a simple... MRI discovered that I had a birth defect called Chiari malformation, a treatable, di- treatable um, prognosis. Uh, what's the word, Natalie? Yeah. And uh, so I had brain surgery freshman year of high school, and I missed the second half of my freshman year. When dealing with migraines, um, I had to sometimes when I didn't have Excedrin, I would have to manage the pain with an inner sanctum, or using spirituality to uh, allow me to escape my body to get through the next 10 seconds. If I could just make it through the next 10 seconds. If I could just make it through the next 10 seconds. And so as a middle schooler I felt like I was unheard, unrespected, and uncared for. Some of the most spiritual people I've ever met are people who deal with pain, chronic pain. Sickle cell anemia patients who have pain crises that will come on and nothing helps. Or cancer patients who deal with pain and seemingly nothing helps. Have to rely upon something outside of themselves. And that's what I believe spirituality is. It's something outside of yourself that you have to submit to. I tell you this part of my story. Both because I know what it is to suffer, and I know, I know why I'm inclined to have a spiritual intuition beyond my counterparts and beyond my family. But how did I get back into church? Well, my sophomore year of high school, I was playing soccer. I played soccer my entire life playing varsity soccer, and my, a youth pastor showed up to watch another player play and recognized me and said, hey, I remember you from a few years ago. Would you like to come back to church? And my brother had just got his license, so we were looking for something to do. And so we ended up back at church. We figured church was a good place to have entertainment, wholesome entertainment. Um, and speaking of wholesome entertainment, that's when I ran into Susan again, and we started dating into that school year, sophomore year of high school. I was 15 years old. I would do it all over again. Um, And it was at church that we went to church summer camp. And at church summer camp, that's when I uh, decided to, what I would say, give up my life to God. But still not fully aware of what that means. It's almost like when you get married, when you say I do you know as a 18 year old you not I didn't know what that fully meant I just know that that's what I was supposed to say um, I'm sure people thought I was crazy but um, it worked out life is a journey isn't it and so um, oh yeah, I wanted to go back. So when I met Susan in, in uh, church camp back in sixth to seventh grade, uh, we became pen pals. And we wrote back and forth to one another. How providential is that, that I was pen pals with my future wife? Yeah. That's crazy to me when you think about it. In fact, Susan being the type A person that she is, she saved the letters. And I have no idea what I did with mine. Nor do I ever want to revisit what I said in those letters. Um, but we started dating. and She went off to college. She was a couple years older than I am. She went off to college, and we long-distance relationship. And then my, a week after Valentine's Day, my senior year of high school, we decided to get engaged. And I, tur- I graduated high school, turned 18 in July, got married in August, and moved to South Chicago all in the same summer. Talk about growing up fast. Yes, but I like to say that me and Susan were able to synergize our efforts together. We were able to work together towards one goal. We have accomplished as much as we have because we have been doing it together. Susan and I both have two master's degrees, and we were able to complete those degrees one after another, because the other one was taken care of, everything else that needed to be taken care of. And right now I'm also in another master's program, and I have discovered that you can do more if you sleep less. <laughs> so I know that will catch up to me at some point, um, but all i got to do is get through till May, and then I walk across the stage. So um, Natalie, please forgive me when I fall asleep at work. Oh, excuse me. Natalie is my manager at work. She's here this morning (laughs) to point her out, embarrass her. So, in high school, when I had that salvation experience, I decided that I wanted to become a pastor. I felt I had the calling to become a ministry, and I shared this with my parents, and my parents told me not to do it. Mm -hmm. They said, the ministry will chew you up and spit you out. There is no Security, there's no stability in the ministry. So they advised me not to do it. I didn't know what that meant. All right. So I got married to Susan and I wasn't going to college. I was just going to work the restaurant business. I was going to become a manager and, you know, move that whole route. And Susan couldn't fathom me doing anything else other than go to college. So I guess I enrolled in community college and was going to be a business major. What else are you going to do? So generic. And so I was a business major at a community college and I worked at Sodexo, the food service at Olivet. While working at food service at Olivet allowed me to be on college campus while I was living off campus as a married student going to community college, I would say I had the college experience without actually having to have any of the misery of living amongst a bunch of dirty boys and (laughs) late nights and although I did participate in some probably scandalous activities. (laughs) That's what college is about, right? And so while working at Sodexo, I was also doing catering for them. We catered a church camp, the Chicago Central District Nazarene Church Camp. And I met the campground manager. And they were looking for somebody to live there, to be a campground host and campground caretaker. And so I applied or interviewed. and I got the position. So me and Susan lived in a big house, or at least what I thought at the time was a big house, on 80 acres of woods, riverfront property with trails, paintball, canoeing, archery, obstacle courses, climbing walls. Uh, Basically, it was perpetual summer camp. I loved it. Um, Outdoors, working, meeting new people, uh, the problem with the job was, is when you live where you work, you work all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was a lot. So I did that as I also still worked at Sedexo, and I was still a full-time student. How does the math work out when you have two full-time jobs and a full-time student? Once again, if you sleep less, you can do more. Yeah. And it was there at this time in my life when I was working a lot and in school that I was sitting on the dock of the bay, like the song, <laughs> where the breeze was able to wash across my face, and I was able to contemplate, look at the stars, and contemplate life with God and life without God. See, at the time, I was living life without God. Also at this time, I was at Sedexo, all of that, uh, some students, you know, would talk to me. I was like the, I was like what you would say that bartender where people always come and like kind of talk like a counselor. Well, they would do that with a SEDEXO and and when I was a C-store attendant, and they would just come by, and we'd talk, and you know, basically on, on schedule every week, people would come by at the same time. Well, one gentleman came by and started talking about preaching, started talking about the Bible study, and I was intrigued, and so I was started intrigued to read the Bible, read the New Testament, read this story about this historical figure called Jesus and then I was it was contradicting what I was learning in business school this upper division management marketing and accounting and economics where I was learning where I was learning Machiavellian's philosophy that says the ends justifies the means or Sun Tzu the art of war keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Or Marxism where he says religion is the opium of the masses. After reading after learning that and then reading Matthew chapter 6, do I have to do something? Okay. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to pull a Kyle and say, the page number represents the book, the red book in your pews that's a free gift to you, (laughs) and you can take that home with you. It's on page 960. And so business school is contradicting what I was learning in, in the Bible when Jesus tells me, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. And I was confused. It was something brand new to me. Really? Really, God? You're going to say that you're going to clothe me? You're going to say that you're going to feed me? That I don't have to worry about tomorrow? For tomorrow will worry about itself? And then I said, God, if this Bible is true everything is what you say it is, then make it so. And I put God to the test. Halfway through my junior year of college, I dropped studying business and started studying religion. It turns out I love studying religion. I did very, very well at it. It enlivened me. It enthrilled me. I did so well in my undergrad, I graduated summa cum laude in three semesters and two summers. I was offered a position to teach Greek and Christian formation in grad school. Christian formation is like what i say the theology 101 for a lot of non-majors. where You get to like kind of pull things apart and kind of understand this thing called Christianity. Well, at Olivet, when you become a religion major, you have two options. Either become a pastor or become a missionary. Well, there was no way I was going to become a pastor. Uh, that glass house and that always, always on stage. So I was an extreme person and I said, if I'm totally sold out, I'm going to do the most extreme thing I could think of. And that was become a missionary. I decided to study missional leadership and intercultural studies. And when I graduated from my master's, I decided to go to Kazakhstan for, as a missionary. Except for two, month, two days before I left the country, my wife tells me that she's pregnant with her beautiful child. And we spent the whole first trimester apart when I was on the other side of the world. Except for two weeks that she spent her all over at PTO to come visit with me and work beside me, teaching English and Bible camps in cities and villages in Kazakhstan, which is the largest landlocked country in the world. It's south of Russia, west of China, north of India, and further west, east than the Middle East. It's exactly 12 hours ahead of our time zone. So on the other, God called me to go serve on the other side of the world. But on the mission field, you need to have your Master of Divinity to have any kind of street cred. So when I came back, I applied for all of that, Na- oh, excuse me, Northwest Nazarene University uh, and their Master of Divinity program. And I was serve- working up to be a missionary. We weren't going to have kids. We were going to go. Susan is a chemist, and her chemistry was going to bankroll the whole, whole thing. Mm-hmm. Except when I was done with the Master of Divinity, we had two kids a house. Susan had a boss job of being a chemist. And I had a lot of school debt. And so dropping everything to go and serve on the mission field wasn't totally accessible. But we decided to kind of par things down. I would work towards um, what it is to, all the skills to be a missionary. And I was working out at the YMCA where I was telling my buddy I was graduating with Master Divinity and someone overheard us and said, oh, you have an MDiv, you should go over to the hospital and check out the chaplaincy program. And I never really thought about chaplaincy before. And so I went over to the hospital, looked at the program, and enrolled in clinical pastoral education, which is the education requirements to become a chaplain. And I discovered that being a chaplain is a lot like being a missionary. I get to, you know, meet cultures, meet people, and help understand who they are, what makes them Take what makes them click, help them resource for themselves, what is meaningful and purposeful in their lives, and kind of show or display a God who cares and a God who meets them where they're at with no condemnation and no judgment. I found out I'm really good at being a chaplain. After four years of being an associate chaplain and doing CPE, I was uh, positioned to open up for Vita's Hospice, and so I became a hospice chaplain for Vitas, But that was kind of short-lived because Susan's job relocated us to St. Louis. If you have to move, moving with the company is really the way to go. They take care of a lot of things. Moving here was one of the most stressful things I've ever done, except for the time when my my wife was in labor with our children. It was more stressful on me than it was for her. I know, I just had to put that out there. And uh, so I, uh, leaving Chicago with my friends and my life and my everything was, coming here, um, taking my job away, was incredibly scary. But I was able to get a job with SSM as a PRN chaplain, working every other Saturday and on call after that. And then I was also able to be hired on at Hospice House for BJC Hospice, and I work with Natalie there. And then I've done that for a few a year and a half and then I was able to uh, get a position with the palliative care department downtown St. Louis working for Washington University as a palliative care chaplain. I volunteer with the Missouri Correctional Facilities uh, teaching offenders how to provide hospice care to other offenders. I take that job very seriously it, um, in the sense of, taking these people and and enabling them to be able to give back restorative justice as well as help develop them professionally, personally, and spiritually. we are doing pretty good. My life events have conditioned me to be where I'm at, to be standing here before you today, to where I'm able to slow things down a little bit, kind of focus on what's important in life, what's meaningful and purposeful, and able to meet people where they're at. My life parallels the story of the exodus, where the Israelites are living in Egypt under Pharaoh's rule, where they're living in, a, in what I coined as Pharaoh's economy, a production-consumption economy, the haves and the have-nots, where you have to strive to work to produce for your survival or you perish. This is the economy that Pharaoh has set up for their, for the way they live. Can we go, we did, look at you. the Israelites had to work to erect buildings and monuments in service to the gods of Egypt, including Pharaoh himself. But we're going to fast forward the story a little bit to Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from out of the hand of Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, Go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of the fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Moses was provincially living in Pharaoh's court. And at some point, he started to to realize the injustices of the world, the injustices of how this economy operates, how it enslaves and it... Holds people down, oppresses them. Well, he tried to put matters in his own hands and try to stop the injustices. And something happened. An accident happened, and he had to flee the country. So then he goes out into the wilderness and learns what it is to be a pastor, to be able to shepherd of the flock in the fields, to care for himself, and to figure out who, something outside of himself, something bigger, And that something bigger comes to him in a burning bush and says, I want you to go deliver my people from Egypt. I want you to go and allow them to come here to worship me. I want you to free them from the oppression of Pharaoh's economy of working for survival, survival mode. And Moses says in verse 12, And God says, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that this is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship this God on this mountain. God says, Moses says, who, who should have sent me? God says, I am who sent you. Yeah. Meaning that God is going to be able to do whatever God says God's going to do. And you can trust that. And then you will know, you will be reminded of that God when you come back here to worship me on this mountain. And so Moses took that seriously, went to go tell Pharaoh and as the story progresses, delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. Let me connect the dots for you now. I was living in Pharaoh's economy. I knew what it was to suffer and to be comforted by something outside of myself. I knew what it was to have to worry about tomorrow, how to keep working to survive, or I would perish. But I was invited by God to come live a different life, a different economy. I was called to live life with God who cares about me, who comes to me when I'm suffering, comes to me when the storms of life overshadow me. God saves me from a production's values for self-worth and love. And this God empowers me to live out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, forgiveness, gentleness, and self-control so that I may be a sign that there is a God in heaven and this God does really care about us. I've come to discover that the commandments... Aren't restrictions, that the commandments are actually gifts. They allow me to be reminded of God. They allow me to take a Sabbath, take a day of rest, to be refreshed after the six days of labor, to be restored so that I may produce six more days after that day. The Sabbath is a revolutionary idea, a concept for the Israelites that they didn't have to work for someone else seven days a week. The Sabbath equalized the playing field. It didn't say the have and the have-nots. It said everyone can rest. And they celebrated this on the Passover where they were able to sit down, actually lounge when they eat. They didn't have to stand while they eat. They were able to fully embrace what it was to be a child of God. And the rest of the commandments teach harmony. They allow me to be in harmony with my community where I'm reminded not to steal or kill or commit adultery or covet my neighbor's stuff. I'm able to be content in and of myself because I know that God will provide. So to come full circle, I've literally tried... To shed layers I would have shedded more layers but I didn't think that was appropriate yeah you know with wardrobe malfunctions and yeah so I just decided to keep this G rated for the kids and keep my pants on and I was trying to show these the assumptions that you have about a person You know, you might have seen me as a cold, distant, unfeeling person sitting here in the service with you. But I want to remind you that I need you sometimes to carry me into heaven. I will make it into heaven without you. So thank you for that. I also wanted to say sometimes we have assumptions about God, about who God is. Sometimes we might think that God is distant, or unreal, or cold, or doesn't care. But the story of the Exodus reminds us, and the story of my life reminds me, that God does care, that God hears our cries, hears our suffering, and it comes to journey with us. I believe this God celebrates with us when we celebrate, cries with us when we cry. And I believe that this God is so patient, so benevolent, and so graceful that he smiles when we figure out that we don't have it all figured out. That he smiles when we realize that some things don't matter to God. When we realize that we can't do this life on our own, that we need other people, and we need God. Being Christian doesn't save me from anything, but being Christian saves me from everything. The sun shines on the good and the bad. The storms of life cloud everyone. Tremendous sadness may happen to any one of us at any time. But God cares, and God comes to journey with us. And if you remember that God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, and God pulled me up out of the same lifestyle, you'll be able to see that the sun does shine again. And you will know that the sun shine is always just above the clouds. I have suffered many tragedies in my life, but I've overcome them. I don't regret them. They have made me who I am. All that I am, my blemishes, my fractions, my lack of energies. And I'm okay with that. The only reason I'm here today is because I took seriously the Lord's Prayer and discovered that Jesus Christ is a God who cares when we suffer and will produce a way of hope. May we now hear the Lord's Prayer renewed and live out its promise for the world. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we for those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.